electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Tim Seymour will join us in just moments. Tonight on Fast, we are charting the tech tumble. One top technician breaking down the next key levels to watch following today's major sell-off in tech. Plus, we are all over the after-hours action in shares of FedEx and Rivian. Both stocks on the move right now in earnings. Rivian's call is underway. FedEx call kicks off at the bottom of the hour. We'll, we'll be dialed in. We'll bring you all the big headlines. Plus, payment problems. Buy now, pay later stocks hit hard today as regulators take aim. Could a coming crackdown send this trade into a tailspin? But we start off with one heck of a tech wreck. The Nasdaq tanking today as investors hit the sell button on the growth trade. The index dropping 2.47% for its worst day since September. You're looking at the heat map of the Nasdaq 100. See lots of red there with Adobe, Skyworks, Xilinx leading the losses. And take a look at how the mighty have fallen. The big cap tech titans plunging in this pullback. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon all finishing the day firmly in the red. So what do you make of today's sharp sell-off? Is this a warning shot of more selling ahead, especially given the big rally? It was all, it was all party time yesterday, Guy. What happened? Party in the, it's that Miley Cyrus song. By the way, I love Miley Cyrus. Party in the USA. Well, it was for a day. Well, I think people are starting to realize that maybe valuations in this environment, given all the rhetoric we've heard, not rhetoric, actually, actual statements that we heard, people are starting to do the math and say, wait a second, maybe these names that we have talked about so often are not going to make sense early in 2022. But I'll submit this. Now's the time you have to start looking at levels to get back in some of these names. For example, I mean, Apple, and I've, Dan said this, I've said it a number of times, Apple's an amazing company. Uh, but you've seen 20 to 35 percent peak to trough decline significant amount of times over the last five or six years. You might be on the precipice right now. I would say that previous all-time high, that September 7th all-time high of 157 and a quarter, I think that's where it's headed, and that's where you get back in. NVIDIA's down 18 percent in a month. You have to ask yourself, could you see a 25 to 30 percent move? Yes, you get back in that name at those levels. So it looks scary, and it should be, but there are levels that are going to make sense here very quickly. Guy mentioned in this environment. Brian Kelly, what environment are we in exactly? I mean, if you took a look at yields, they were flat to lower today. I mean, it sort of didn't make any sense. It's sort of a head scratcher. If you think that tech is getting whacked because there's a fear of higher rates, yields didn't reflect that. Well, there's a fear of higher rates because the Fed's going to raise rates, but there's also a fear of slower growth because the Fed's going to raise rates. So the Fed is in this really weird spot where they have to fight inflation on one hand, and the way that they generally usually do that is to put the economy into a recession. So if the Fed is actually really going to go through with it, and we saw the Bank of England today raise rates, uh, the ECB came out, they basically did nothing. But if you're going to have central banks removing liquidity and trying to slow the economy down, then you have a growth scare. Therefore, longer end rates and frankly, even two year rates really shouldn't go up that much. So and we saw market PMIs today flat year over year growth on those is zero. So the economy is slowing. Now add in the fact that they're starting to cancel shows and concerts and people aren't going back to work. The economy is slowing again. 
That's reflected in rates. It hasn't been reflected in equities until today. It sounds like BK is saying that that rates are in a box, so to speak, because, uh, you know, the growth fears, but then also uh, pushed up higher potentially. I mean, it's sort of locked in there, right, because the Fed will move. And yet there's fears about slowing growth. This is sort of like a Rorschach test, Tim, though, because the Fed is seeing hot, (laughs) hot, hot growth ahead. And that's one reason why they have to raise rates. So if we are to believe that rates are in a box, isn't that benign to markets? Tim? I'm sorry. I've been called on. Sorry. I didn't hear my name. So, look, I think it is. But I think you've got a case where um, there's there's also an argument here. And if you look at the way the small caps traded today, way the the Russell traded, the the dynamics in anything cyclical, um, look at retail was down 2.3 percent. I mean, you get in sense here that that people are concerned about growth and that this to me is, again, a case of where maybe the Fed is going to move faster than they should because they were behind the curve. And, and so yesterday there was a little bit of a relief on that. But I, I would go back to uh, the underperformance of, of both the semiconductors. A 4.4 move basically took out all of yesterday's move and has you closed even all the way back to, say, about November 10th levels. But again, look at the triple Qs, look at the NASDAQ 100, down 4% relative to the S&P in the last 12 sessions. That's not a good sign. We've done the math. We've crunched the numbers. Those top seven stocks, so I'm also adding in uh, Tesla and NVIDIA on top of the big five, that's 29% of the S&P. And we've talked for for weeks, if not months, about the concerns around that. Dan, what was your take on, on today's market action? Well, you know, Guy brought up Apple and, you know, we're talking about valuations, right? So we're seeing re-ratings here. We don't even have to talk about the high growth, unprofitable names that have just actually crashed this year. I mean, that's something that we've been talking about for months and months right now. So now we're talking about these mega cap names, the names that, um, you know, Tim just mentioned here, and they've been the huge beneficiary of passive investing. And just think about Apple, you know, it almost ticked $3 trillion in market cap early this week. That marked a 30% increase in in just two months okay it's just unsustainable and when you think about it you know people say well that's value tech you're telling me apple which was trading at like 30 times earnings that are only expected to grow next year two percent on four percent sales growth that's value i don't see it and what i see is a whole heck of a lot of danger because people are basically making the same assumptions about a microsoft about a google why do you think that amazon is only up three percent on the year and apple's up 30 percent microsoft's up 40 percent and google is up 60 percent because amazon's not considered value but i got a little news flash for you either are those unless the valuation frameworks have totally changed for as long as i've been doing this in 25 years and i don't mean to sound soft about it. It just seems like yesterday's action was downright stupid. And today sounds downright reasonable when you consider what the Fed, to BK's point, may have to do, right, to kind of fight this inflation. And they will choke off growth. But I'm telling you this, the Fed got themselves so turned around because Jay Powell, as Guy has said on the show the other night, top ticked this whole thing. I don't care what he thought transitory meant. At some point, inflation will be much lower. The bottlenecks that caused a lot of this inflation, the black swan pandemic that nobody saw coming and nobody knows how long it's going to last because I guess it's still going on, right? Um, at some point, inflation will come back. And pre-pandemic, the Fed was wrestling with how to get inflation to 2%. Up to 2%. You know what I mean? So it's going back there. I just think it's a bit goofy. And I think the fact of the matter is the broad market and these generals could use a little breather. I like this, Dan. 
He's not meaning to sound salty. He is salty. He is salty tonight. See, the thing is that that people wanted to turn the framework, the the value framework on its head in this environment, BK. How many times have we heard people come on this network uh, saying that that big cap tech is going to be your friend uh, in good times and in bad, right? That That's the trade and its value and it's going to be good for you. And when right. the economy slows down, it's good for you. When the economy's hot, it's good for you. It's win, win, win. And here we are. What's What's the deal in your view? Yeah, the most dangerous words in investing is this time it's different. It's not different this time. And, and people at near tops and near inflections points tend to start to, tend to change the rules of investing and say, you know, we saw it back in, in the tech bubble in the late 90s, okay? We thought there was no profitability, but we said, oh, no, you know, the Internet, it's going to grow exponentially and they're going to get profitability eventually. So that's the same thing that's happening here. People get ahead of themselves. Analysts get ahead of themselves. And frankly, professional investors often get ahead of themselves and look to craft a narrative around what's happening. But when you actually do get some real growth scare and some real economic decline, then the fundamentals actually really do matter. And that all changes. And I think, I think that's the environment we're in here where you have the Federal Reserve that will be raising rates at the exact wrong time. And I agree with Dan and Guy. The fact that the Fed has taken the word transitory out probably means that that's the peak in inflation. What kind of re-rating are we talking about for big cap technology in, in particular? I mean, you take a look at, you know, an Apple, it's 5.5% from its 52-week high. Uh, Alphabet is, is off 4%. Microsoft is off 7%. These aren't tremendous moves from, from all time and or 52-week highs, Guy. What, what does a re-rating look like in your view? 18 to 25. And, and, and you, people will be like, oh, you're out of your mind. Well, I'm not. Well, maybe I am. But I'm not in, in terms of this because we've seen it a number of times before. And by the way, you know, the names you're talking about haven't reached that. But look at some of these other names that are not micro cap names. You're talking about market caps of anywhere from 30 to 100 billion dollars. And you've seen moves anywhere from 35 to 60 percent to the downside. So I think to Dan's point about, you know, they get the general's last. That's a Carter Braxton worth thing. Well, they might be coming for them now, and you got to have your levels ready. And in terms of Apple, I mentioned 157 and a quarter. And when Nvidia gets down 25 percent, down 18 percent now from its recent high, I think you step in there. But you got to be ready because it happens really fast. Tim, are you as worried about the Fed choking off growth? And in that environment, how? What do you buy? Well, I, I, I'm I'm certainly not as salty as, as salty Dan, and and but no I, I do think there's an environment where we. Well, we, we've seen the Fed in the past go from zero to 60 on rates and overstep their bounds, too. I mean, this is, this is the, the analog from 2018. Uh, I, I actually just think some of this is a function exactly of what you said of where we're coming from, uh, that a 5 to 10 percent correction in any of these stocks um, is, is, is not bad. It's probably healthy. Um, speculating on what the multiple should be in these stocks. What is different this time is that rates are truly at zero. And therefore, these stocks should be trading uh, as a function uh, of where rates at zero should be. In other words, at premiums that they don't deserve. Um, rates are not going to move that aggressively. I don't think there's any way that they can. And right now, I know we're at three next year and three and 23 and two and 24. Um, but but I, I, you know, I'm still not sure we're going to get there, even though, like the rest of the fellows here, I acknowledge that the Fed is behind the curve and we have inflation. So um, I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not willing to say that it's all coming tumbling down. I'm willing to say, let's look at key 
key levels here, I'm more worried about seven stocks being 29% of the S&P, no longer just talking about the NASDAQ 100. This is the market we're talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the market's had such a big run that I do think we can correct. But I don't think that, you know, 18 to 25 on a multiple, um, that's, that's scary stuff. Yeah. All right, let's get to our earnings alert. Shares of FedEx surging after reporting results. Let's get to Morgan Brannon for the breakdown in the company's quarter. Morgan. Hey, Melissa, that's right. So it was a beat on both the top and bottom lines for FedEx. His operating income jumped 11% year-on-year adjusted. That was despite another $470 million in increased costs that are associated with labor shortages and supply chain disruptions. So why did we see the jump? Higher revenue per shipment at all transportation segments as the delivery giant's been able to raise rates, add surcharges. FedEx also raising its full-year earnings guidance. This is above street estimates. And I asked FedEx President and COO Raj Submaranium last hour whether the worst of those labor and supply chain challenges have now passed. We had roughly uh, $470 million of headwind uh, in, the, in this quarter, roughly the for that, that's what we expected. Uh, we don't expect that to continue in the in the second half, if that's what you're asking. Uh, and we also feel because of the, the value proposition and the demand that we have in the marketplace, that you know we were able to improve our operating profit and operating margins in the second half. So he's also noting in that conversation, this is really a growth story, and this is the company that has been investing very heavily for that capacity, for that growth. A big increase in job applicants is something else he noted as folks are coming off the sidelines uh, among increased pay and incentives from the company. So just over a week to go until Christmas. Now, FedEx had previously forecast a 10 percent increase in volumes for this peak season versus 2020. That's something that's crucial and uh, being watched closely by investors in the near term. He said it's still a little too early to talk about whether they're topping that forecast, but they have had some days of 100 million packages or more moving through the network. The company also announcing a new $5 billion stock buyback program. As you can see, those shares are up 6% right now. And after hours trading, Melissa, conference call kicks off at 530 Eastern. I love your question, by the way, Morgan, um, to the COO about whether or not packages will get there on time for Christmas. <laughs> and his response, we'll get it done. <laughs> Clock's so ticking. That's, that's a pause. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> about a week there. Morgan, thanks. Morgan Brennan. Um, yesterday, we were talking about UPS in the context of a positive note. And we were talking about UPS versus FedEx, not necessarily a would you rather, but a, a comparison. UPS is trading at a premium. FedEx, obviously, is trading at a discount to UPS. FedEx is more of a turnaround story. Which one would you bet on, Guy Dami? I'll go to you. FedEx. Look, I worked at UPS, as you know, and I was one of their best employees of all time. They've actually written a letter to that point. But, you know, just look at FedEx guidance for the full year. You're talking about $21. <laughs> even if you're talking about a $20 in earnings, you put a 15 multiple on that. I know I can do that, Matt. That's a $300 stock. And it's still cheap, even more so in this environment where people are starting to focus on valuation. So I would FedEx. I liked UPS, but I think UPS is a bit of a double top. I think FedEx has a chance to get to 300. By the way, I power pitched this sucker when it was about 290 and it went straight down. So just be warned. But with that said, I still like FDX. Yeah. Tim's in it, though. Tim, your, your thoughts on the quarter? 
Well, I, yeah, I'm long, and I, I do like the relative value pickup. I mean, you're, you're six or seven turns on a multiple cheaper in FedEx, So, uh, and, and as Guy pointed out, and maybe as a function of Guy's great work there, UPS trades at a premium for a reason. But I, I, I look at the investments. This was the other part of Morgan's interview, which was fascinating. Just the, the, the investment and the commitment that they made pre-pandemic, uh, it almost sounds like some of the, the logistics ERP investments that Amazon made when they weren't rewarded for it. I think FedEx has had some inefficiency dynamics that have plagued the company over multiple quarters. Some of it has just been the growing pains of, of the massive volume shift in their favor. So with pricing power and with some of these efficiencies coming online, seemingly telling a better story about labor, um, this is a, a decent formula for a company that everything else we're talking about on tonight's show uh, makes you want to own FedEx. Unless you believe that the Fed is going to choke off growth, Brian Kelly. Sounds like you're in that camp. So do you yeah, want to be in it, transports? No, I don't think you do. I mean, I think it's hard to look at what the market's telling you today, that we are likely to have slower growth, the Fed's going to choke off uh, uh, the economy, and be in a transportation stock, a stock that is reliant upon growth in the economy, and a stock that has done nothing this year. So even during its turnaround, and even during a time when they were having massive volumes, investors did not reward you for holding the stock. So in this environment, that's not a place where BK wants to put his money. All right, coming up, payment pain. Buy now, pay later stocks feeling the pressure as regulators put the practice in their crosshairs. We're breaking down the big risks to this trade. But first, we're all over the after hours action in shares of Rivian. That stock is on the move after its first report since going public. We got the details next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Rivian. Shares of the company falling, following its first report since going public. Let's get to Phil LeBeau for the details. Phil. Hey, Melissa, we're about halfway through the conference call. RJ Scaringe talking about not only what the company has done so far, the increased demand that they are seeing, as well as the new plant in Georgia. We'll talk about that in a little bit. As you take a look at shares of Rivian, we should point out that the Q3 numbers, really an update on what we saw at the IPO, essentially telling us that, yeah, they lost, uh, what, twelve twenty-one a share, revenue a million dollars, as expected on the revenue side. The update on production is crucial here. They produced 652 R vehicles. That's the R1. T and the R1S, delivering 386 of those. By the way, they delivered their first R1S, that is the electric SUV, delivered it last week. So those have actually begun. It's no longer something that they're working on delivering and building. Here is RJ Scaringe from just a few minutes ago on the conference call talking about the Amazon delivery van and where things stand. 
The 700 cubic foot EDV has achieved a range of 201 miles based on internal testing using official EPA test procedures. We have successfully received our certifications to sell these vehicles, and we plan to deliver our first saleable vehicles to Amazon this month. There you have it. 100,000 have been ordered by Amazon. The first ones will be delivered this month. Then they will slowly ramp up uh, production in the normal Illinois facility over the next couple of years. Real quick, the Georgia facility that was announced within the last hour, it is going to be built east of Atlanta. Production will begin in 2024. They break ground next summer. Capacity, once it's all up and running, 400,000 vehicles. You take those 400,000 along with 200,000 in normal Illinois, you get 600,000 in EV capacity that Rivian believes it'll have online by 2024, 2025. 7,500 jobs, Melissa, will be added once that plant is up and running in Georgia. One last note. One question, it just happened when we were in the commercial break. Somebody said, hey, with this increased demand, the 71,000 orders now for the R1T and R1S, up, by the way, from 54,000 during the IPO, so about a 28% increase. Somebody just asked, where are you noticing the demand is coming from? And they just said 90% of those orders for the R1T, the electric pickup truck, coming from people who never owned a truck before. Speaks oh. to what's, what's happening out there right now. Interesting, interesting. So the market is actually much bigger than than the current market share for trucks. Sure. Um, Phil, I got to ask you about GM because we're watching those shares slide in yeah. the after hour session. Um, the head of Cruise leaving immediately. How surprising is this? Very surprising. And that's why the stock is down. Two reasons the stock is down. One, Dan Ammon has been the face of Cruise over the last couple of years, ever since he was named CEO. Remember, he was with General Motors as they came out of bankruptcy, I believe briefly served as CFO for the company overall. Many said, look, when Mary Barra steps down, he could ultimately be picked as a potential CEO of General Motors overall. So he's been the face of Cruise. I mean, just uh, last month during an investor event, he was talking about we're real close to autonomous rideshare, extremely bullish, extremely on target in terms of what he was saying, resonating with analysts. So now he's leaving. So the first thing you say is, wait a second, why is this guy leaving? Second of all, why is he leaving immediately? No indication that, hey, Dan's been thinking about this. We wish him the best. The note from General Motors simply says Dan Ammon has uh, left the company or is leaving the company effective immediately. Kyle Vogt, who started Cruise way back when, before General Motors bought it, He is now the new acting CEO. He was serving as president and chief technology officer. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau, you you know, a part of the bull case, certainly for GM, is that the embedded value of the cruise unit. And so if you are to believe that Dan Ammon is is a key part of that and key part of that value, Tim, you're going to see a little bit of a knock here on GM. How much of a knock, though, is is warranted? I'm not sure. We need to find out why he's leaving. We need to understand yeah. the circumstances around this. But, I, you know, the, the intrinsic value of, of Cruise to the overall enterprise, I, I'm not sure there's lost. And, and again, I think uh, the technology is not only been institutionalized, but again, the, the, the new acting head is somebody that, that arguably is more intimate with the technology. I, I, you know, this is not a reason to sell GM unless there's something much more uh, 
you know, sinister or governance wise that we just don't know about. But but look, it's been frustrating because I think there's been a lot of head fakes from the true valuation call at GM for me as an investor. You know, you hear about uh, the the bolt and you hear about things on, on the recall that ultimately you've gotten better news. Who cares about Chevy Bolt? That's not why I own GM. Um, and autonomous is exciting. Uh, but again, to me, you can own GM and have their uh, their existing business, their EV business, their mm-hmm. Ultium battery business uh, and still be very cheap. Dan, what's your take on Rivian? Yeah, you know, it's funny that one of the headlines, Mel, was that, um, you know, they missed deliveries. And I think that was pretty clear cut when they were going through the roadshow that that number that was expected to be 1,200 is literally like nothing. It's a rounding error, right, to to the overall thing. So that's not too big of a deal. I mean, listen, the hard part for this story right now is that it's got a $100 billion market cap. You know, it's just it's the valuation, right? And so we know what Tesla had to go over the last 10 years just to get a trillion-dollar market cap, you know? So to me, that's the one investors are going to be struggling with. I mean, in some ways, when they were marketing this stock a few months ago or a couple months ago, whenever it was, when the number looked more like $50 billion, it was like, okay, that's a bit of a moonshot. That makes sense. At $100 billion, it's much tougher. Yeah, there's no um, slack in there in the valuation guy. No, no <laughs> give back. I mean, there was no room for error here. And here we are. So in, and with the backdrop of rising rates, it doesn't get any easier. No question. But look, I, I never thought in my wildest dreams you'd see a $179 stock just, what, a month and a half or so ago. And at that point, I think it was a $150 billion or so company. So I've thought for a while, um, and now it's starting to play out, that it would retest that basically low that we made of 95 and a half or 95.20. Now we're in earshot of that. And how do you trade it? I'll stuck by Ford. Tim turned me on to this one a while ago. And you put a 13 multiple, which is reasonable especially more so in this environment, on the two bucks they're going to earn, I can do that math as well. And you're talking about a $26 stock. And oh, by the way, Ford's actually done pretty well over the last couple of days. All right, coming up, we've got more on today's big tech wreck. The Nasdaq 100 dropping more than 2.5%. So where are these names headed next? We are breaking down the key levels for the group. But first, payment stocks paying the price. The buy now, pay later trend hitting some snacks. We're breaking down the big risks straight ahead. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. The buy now, pay later stocks taking a hit today. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau opening an inquiry into some of these names. CFPB Director Chopra saying buy now, pay later is a new version of the old layaway plan, but with modern, faster twists where the consumer gets a product immediately but gets the debt immediately, too. The agency is looking to warn the public about risks. We are joined now by Mizuho analyst Dan Dolev, who was raising the red flag on this trade earlier this week. Um, Dan, welcome back to Fast. Great to have you with us. Um, are you concerned that any any regulatory action will will happen that will impact the space? Yeah, I mean, thanks, Melissa. It's always great to be here, and thanks for the mention. <clears throat> Sorry, earlier this week on our note, I appreciate it. Look, I think that that this is something that you know, even though we didn't kind of expect it to be this week, we kind of. I, I feel like I'm not surprised to see this because whenever there's consumers, whenever there's debt, whenever there's loan, whenever there's money, and there's the potential for consumers being, you know 
getting sort of the short end of the stick. I think that that's where the CFPB actually gets involved. So yes, I mean, I I think I, you know while I'm I didn't expect this to be as soon as as, as we thought in terms of like our note. I'm not completely surprised that this is actually happening and the CFPB is looking into this space. I mean, this group has been a target. House Financial Services Committee had some hearings uh, on this group and, and buy now, pay later in general last month as well. So it's it's not a complete surprise that there are some concerns when it comes to the consumer, Dan. But walk me through your concerns about the space in relationship to the valuations these stocks have, because you have this regulatory overhang issue at this point. Um, and then what you outlined in your note, which is the delinquencies for a lot of these stocks, they don't actually carry the loans on their books, per se. So I'm wondering where, where you see the risk to the valuation in rising delinquencies. Is it that they is it that these buy now, pay later firms ratchet back the amount of lending so the growth won't be there? Exactly. I think you, you, you exactly. This is exactly the issue. What we worry about is that it's sort of like a catch 22, right? If they continue to grow really fast, Sometimes the delinquencies have to rise because they are letting you know more people borrow. Sometimes people cannot borrow. But if they want to harness um, the delinquencies, they have to actually have to slow down the growth, and then the stocks are not going to work. So I feel like it's kind of a strange situation where I'm not saying it's either or, but I'm saying that risk is now on the table that you might be facing some of these kind of decisions over the medium term if the survey work that we've done, which shows you that people use multiple apps, they're, you know, borrowing across multiple apps, 53% of people actually have uh, defaulted or have, like missed the payment. Um, so if this is actually going to come true, I think some of those risks might be more realistic in the medium than their mouth. Hey, Dan, it's BK. So I'm curious, let's look through this scenario here where you're talking about, and, and rightly so, and it seems that the market is validating uh, what your analysis is. At what point does this turn around? What as an investor do I look for to say, all right, this is completely washed out and we're actually maybe going to start growing again? I mean, look, the good thing about FUB is it's going to take, it's good and the bad thing, but things, it's going to take time. I think they don't have to give the data until March, and then it's going to be a process. But I think at the for, let's talk company specific. So the reason we like a firm is because remember a firm. I would I would go on a company specific thing, not an industry thing. For a firm specifically, remember they have an exclusivity with Amazon that's you know for an entire year. So I think you're going to get some sort of like a massive amount of volumes coming in through the door starting you know next year which is none of it is in consensus. So I actually think that despite all this noise, a firm could actually do really well next year because numbers are going to move up, right? Same thing for, you know, Square or Block and Afterpay. That's all incremental revenue for Afterpay on Square or Block. And I think that those two stocks are going to continue to do well. I mean, I don't cover the other names, but I would be more worried with some of the smaller names where, you know, it's, it's, it's a function of being too small and maybe not getting enough traction and losing share. But those two names specifically, despite the headwinds, I still think are very good buys heading into next year. Last quick question, Dan, and, and that is, you know, this is a relatively new uh, industry. And so I'm, I'm wondering, how do these stocks do in a rising interest rate environment? And I'm not talking about the valuation part of it. I mean, I think we, we sort of understand what happens to valuation in a higher interest rate environment. But in terms of the lending portion of this uh, the, the actual business, do consumers do more buy now, pay later, as opposed to using a credit card if interest rates go higher? Or how does that work? 
I think it's, right. it's a great question. We don't know, right? The answer is, Melissa, we don't know because we've never had this industry and we've never, you know, this is this industry emerged in a low interest rate environment. The one thing I can say is what's interesting here is that, remember, if you're doing a paying for, um, you're basically, they're capping the their revenue, but when they're borrowing money somewhere else, they might have to pay a higher interest rate. So it's actually not necessarily a good thing. But for the, those interest-bearing loans, which a firm has a lot of, they can actually probably increase those rates as interest rates, interest rates rise and actually protect their spread. So I think for a firm, which does a lot of these like interest-bearing loans, that's actually not a bad thing. It's probably a wash. All right, Dan, great to see you. Thank you. Dan Dola of, of, of Mizuho. Uh, I think that's a key point here. This entire industry, a lot of fintech, in fact, Dan, has not in, existed in an environment that isn't a 0% yeah. interest rate environment. Yeah, well, it's funny, Mel. I'm sitting here looking at my text. Our friend Danny Moses is like blowing me up, screaming me at me. These aren't fintech companies. They're lenders. I'm saying it in his voice right now here, right? And so to your point about that different interest rate environment, these companies were born at a different time. They're being valued um, as fintech companies, and really they're probably lenders. And I guess what I would extrapolate it a little bit and say, what is this really saying about the consumer right now? We're seeing Block Square pay $29 billion for Afterpay. We saw the deal that... Amazon just did with a firm where they basically take no risk. PayPal made um, a, you know a similar sort of investment, I think, in Japan, and it just speaks to maybe the fact that you know we're seeing weaker retail sales, we're seeing uh, credit card uh, uh, transactions decline right now. I'm not saying that this sort of action is specific to the retail environment right now, but it seems a bit subprimey at the moment. I mean, Dan's note also highlighted the fact that many people who use buy now, pay later actually layer the loan. So they've got a lot of buy now, pay later going on. And by the way, when they run those credits, they're not tapping into your credit report. So they don't know what other loans one might have, whether it be a car loan or a mortgage or whatever it is, when they're extending that buy now, pay later uh, loan guy. This this nothing can go wrong, right? <laughs> All good here. <laughs> you, you're so you're so in my head. I was just I about know. to say, yeah, that sounds good. What could possibly go wrong with that? Everything could go wrong with that. It's amazing how what's old is new again. I mean, and we touched on this a number of times in terms of the stocks, because I don't want to necessarily wax poetic here. I do think PayPal put in a short term capitulatory bottom in early December, we've talked about that. That 179 low makes sense. Um, it's 185 or so now. I think if you're looking for a name that's probably getting unjustly beat up now on these headlines, I mean, PayPal took its medicine a couple months ago with the Pinterest and the subsequent quarter. I think PayPal looks interesting here. Which, Pete, by the way, just fast-pitched last night. Coming up, a big opportunity for your portfolio. Shares of AT&T soaring, and that had options traders dialing in. We're going to break down the action ahead, but first, a $250 billion port in the storm. Investors seeking safety in this tech giant during today's sell-off. The name and where this trade is headed when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another sell-off sweeping through the tech sector today. The QQQ ETF suffering its worst daily loss in September. But our next guest says, don't panic. There could be some support ahead. Let's go off the charts with Ari Wald of Oppenheimer. Hey, Ari, what are you looking at? All right, Melissa, I got good news, bad news. Uh, good news is today's sell-off not overly damaging. I think there is an opportunity ahead. Uh, bad news is it does look like there is some additional near-term selling ahead uh, I agree that Apple, a bit overextended here, needs to come in more. Guy said 157. I see a gap at 166. Tomato, tomato, the point is that there looks like there's a little bit more downside, and with that could take down the NASDAQ. 
So here are the levels I'm watching. If we chart the QQQ, the ETF of the NASDAQ 100, I think the key level is the December low at around at $179. I'm showing that the 100-day average comes into play there as well. I think we come down, test it, maybe even undercut it. I think the most important point here is we're going to be looking for signs that selling is becoming less bad. One indicator I'm going to be looking at is the VIX. There's a volatility index based on the NASDAQ 100. I, I think what we want to see here is that the December low, December 3rd, that was the high intensity low is my assumption right now when you had the big spike in the VIX down to uh, uh, up to 34. What we're going to be looking for is a slight undercut, maybe a, lo a lower VIX high, which would be a bullish divergence. That's the boom followed by the whimper. That sets the platform up ahead of what is still an intact uptrend. Final chart, where's opportunity right here, right now? Uh, while the, mark, the, the NASDAQ market overall continues to, to digest uh, the, the prior run-up, we've seen this flight to safety. And in Techland, it's Cisco. Uh, breaking through, in this tough tape, no less, breaking through multi-year resistance dating back to 2019. This is one of the few tech charts that uh, still getting back to its peak levels from the year 2000. I think as long as that breakout holds at around $58, it can make that run, which comes in in the $70 range. So I think you buy this breakout in, in Cisco, Melissa. Um, Ari, obviously uh, tech itself is going to pressure the overall S&P 500. But what we saw today was the S&P didn't do too badly considering the steep declines that we saw in technology, implying that there were other sectors that were able to hold up. Uh, and I'm wondering what the other parts of the market look like and, and where the leadership is ex-technology in this environment. That's right. Uh, our feel, this was more of a shakeout. It was a more of a rotational pullback. Uh, tech was the leader uh, into the recent highs. It was a sector that did make a new high in, in November there. Uh, and with today's sell-off, you're seeing some really great action in the financial sector holding up well through this, which I think is telling. This is, is such a big difference between now and Christmas of 2018. Uh, we've been getting asked a lot about that comparison, that the Fed-induced sell-off into Christmas. If you look at market conditions now and then, there, there have been some internal cracks. I'm not saying that this is a, a great setup internally in the market, but it's a lot stronger than it was at that point. And I think financials is a big reason why I think the fact that uh, groups like that are, are holding up well, why we're still probably mid to late cycle, uh, maybe looking for a top in 2022. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it does set up for a, a leg higher here uh, in the new year. All right, Ari, thanks. Ari Wald. Guy Dami, where would you go? I like, I mean, I love what he's saying. Some of these names, the valuation names, the reasonably valuation names, Cisco. Look at IBM. I mean, we never talk about IBM. That had a decent day today. So I think tech with valuations that make sense, makes sense in this environment. But, but I'll throw one other thing in there. I think healthcare is underestimated here. Big Cap Pharma has been under pressure. But look at Bristol Myers recently getting off the mat. I think that makes sense. And I still think Eli Lilly is tremendous value. Dan's got a salty head shake that I can't ignore. Dan. I mean, I, I can't. I, I, we're talking about Cisco and IBM. The market's rolling over. These are the two worst performing tech companies. Forget the stocks. Look at the gaps from their Q3 earnings. They were disgusting, and we were in a raging bull market for mega cap stocks. So don't buy the crap when things are rolling over. Give it some time. 
Okay. Uh, coming up, the new year is fast approaching, so we are checking out the top investment themes of 2021. You might be surprised at what made the list, plus AT&T surging in today's session after an upgrade from Morgan Stanley. So how are options traders playing this jump? We've got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of AT&T surging today after analysts at Morgan Stanley upgraded the stock. And options traders are betting these gains will continue into the new year. Mike Coe joins us with the action. Mike. Yeah, so AT&T was one of the busiest single stock options we saw today. It was actually the eighth busiest. It saw three times the average daily call volume and calls outpaced puts also by about three to one. A lot of that activity was relatively short dated call buying. One of the areas where I saw some activity was the January 23 calls. I saw a block of about 5,000 of those trade for $1.05. Ultimately, all day, about 17,000 of those calls traded. Buyers obviously see some follow through to today's bounce. One quick point when you're taking a look at those calls and think that they're rather cheap considering they're in the money. Remember, call buyers don't get the dividend and this one pays a big one. One of the reasons they might be buying calls is they could be expecting a cut. Very, very good point. Mike, thanks. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Wall Street's word of the year. We're going to break down the top financial themes of 2021 with a look at the most searched terms. The winner might surprise you. Don't go anywhere. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Meme stock. Dogecoin, NFT, those are just some of the big buzzwords this year. And Investopedia just released its list of most searched terms in 2021. And the number one term just might surprise you. Let's bring in Investopedia editor-in-chief and my longtime friend, Caleb Silver. Caleb, great to see you. I feel like we need a drum roll. Um, Can you reveal what the top one is? Absolutely. And it's so good to be with you. And, you know, we've been looking at what investors have been searching for all year, such a busy year. And the number one term surprised us, too. But it was capital gains tax, Melissa. We have folks worrying about the prospect of higher ga- higher taxes coming through the Biden administration. We also had a lot of people who made a lot of money either through asset sales or their home sales looking at capital gains tax. That sustained itself throughout the year as the number one term most searched on Investopedia. That's a lot of searches. I think that's extremely telling because even if you go out to the top seven search terms, it seems to tell the story of people who invest in the stock market. Um, maybe they had a bet, a, a bet on inflation or something like that, and they invested in crypto. I mean, Dogecoin was up there. HODL was up there. <laughs> Fiat money was up there. I mean, is that sort of the, the theme that you're getting? Absolutely. I think a lot of people didn't realize what they potentially owe taxes on. Some people were new to the market, new traders, buying meme stocks, buying cryptocurrencies, maybe cashing those in for profits, making some real money. We know a lot of people were bragging about that. And I think they had to learn for themselves what capital gains tax meant, long-term capital gains and short-term capital gains. Not a total surprise, but it did surprise us, given the other ones. Fiat money, number two on the list, Melissa. People wondering, what's the difference between cryptocurrency, digital money, and fiat money? And I think El Salvador had a lot to do with that. Yeah. Um, you certainly have a good read on, on what the psyche of the retail investor is. And so I'm wondering, going into year end, what, what are some of the top search terms in the month of December so far? Well, a lot of these have been around inflation. Inflation was the reader's pick 
for term of the year, but it's also the number one concern among our readers. We just surveyed them. We've been surveying them every two months since before the pandemic. That is number one on their mind. Also, the reader's choice for term of the year. That's going to continue into next year. Supply chain, obviously, a big deal. But we had a lot of folks looking up and continuing to look up to the child care tax credit, worrying that it may expire. What's going to happen with that? That affects about 65 million kids. So a lot of people thinking about that. Obviously, NFTs, very big this year, especially in the second half of the year. We expect that to continue. Short interest was one of the top terms early on in the year. Not so much right now, but we expect that uh, to come back if we get some more shorting and a lot of meme stock activity in the beginning of the year. Yep. Caleb, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Caleb Silver, Editor-in-Chief of Investopedia. We asked our traders for their picks for word of the year. Guy, what would yours be? Let me get my smart board behind me, Melissa Lee. Uh, can you read this for me? Are you familiar with that term? Horse hockey. Yes, horse hockey. horse hockey. And why do I say that? First of all, I've been watching MASH like two shows a night for the last six months, number one. That's Colonel uh, Sherman T. Potter. And why? Think about the absurdity of this year. Transitory, we're going to retire transitory. Robinhood, this innovative company, you tell me what's innovative other than the hair in the name. Dogecoin, Shiba Coin, uh, buy now, pay later. Oh, that's really new and innovative. It's all horse hockey. I'd rather use another word, but this is a family show. <laughs> the other word you probably don't have to look up. Uh, Tim, what would your word of the year be? Uh, look, it, it's all in the cloud these days, just like for Fletch, it was all ball bearings. Look, the cloud has been where the, the whether it's the Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Star Wars or where you've seen even uh, mom and pop or the investor uh, move all of their stuff. Enterprise has been all about the cloud this year. BK, yours. You know, unsurprisingly, mine's going to be in crypto. It's going to be DeFi, decentralized finance. And it gets you into all these other things like liquidity farming and, and yield farming and DEXs and all of that. So that's the word of the year for me. Although your whiteboard says buy, presumably because you used a permanent marker on your whiteboard for a fast yeah. pitch. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. stuck with this now. But okay. the word's DeFi, but DeFi. for all games, is, We'll I'm imagine buying. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dan, quickly, what your, what's your word? Yeah, just real quickly, I'd say fungible because this is the year, mm. and obviously NFT, non-fungible token, was heavily searched here. I think the idea of digital scarcity uh, versus fungibility that we all know in our asset markets is really an interesting theme. It's going to carry on whether the value of NFTs this year that got eye-popping you know, sort of uh, headlines, whether they stay. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. Cisco. BK. ExxonMobil. Dan. I'd be a seller of Cisco. <laughs> Guy. <laughs> Bristol Myers. <laughs> that kind of show. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.